Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting, and this is a special bonus edition here at Post Wrestling. And we are discussing uh, the life and the career of Bruno San Martino, who passed away Wednesday morning uh, around 9 a.m. at the age of 82. I'm here with Wei Ting. A little later on, we're going to be joined by Dan the Mouth Lebransky uh, to chat about one of the true legendary figures of the industry in Bruno San Martino. And I don't think that is a term that is being thrown around lightly in this sense way. No, I don't think so. I think uh, perhaps terms like that you can argue are, are used too often these days, but certainly this is a case where uh, it, it, it doesn't seem like hyperbole. Yeah, Bruno is you know, one of those figures that when you go back and look at this guy's life, it is unbelievable. And it was a movie script and was not one that was completed, but I think as people are diving into this man's history, it reads just like a movie from, you know, coming over from Italy where his family was fleeing the Nazis to come over to the U.S. This was someone that was told that he was not even going to live after contracting rheumatic fever and what he accomplished when coming over to the United States in professional wrestling, becoming uh, one of the the pillars of North American professional wrestling. Uh, I'm just curious, kind of way, as you've kind of researched his career today, some of your impressions, uh, taking like a deeper look at Bruno San Martino today. Well, I, I think, you know, what it's, it's important to mention that like, you know, people of like our generation, John, we didn't grow up watching Bruno. Or at least I, I speak for myself. I don't know about you. Uh, maybe when you're one years old, you you might have seen some of his matches. But me personally, I would say most people who got into professional wrestling our age through the Hulk Hogan era really would have missed, you know, the the, the Bruno San Martino run. So, and and like part of me wonders if he didn't make amends with the the WWF uh, in in 2013, how much of Bruno the general public would know about today. Uh, not to say like the hall of fame even like changed all that much, but I guess what, what does surprise me is like the amount of people that are speaking out about it, uh, sharing memories of Bruno San Martino. And I would say a lot of that support, like coming despite perhaps, you know, the, the lack of mention of him and his career over the years in the WWF. So maybe that's the most surprising thing about it to me. Yeah, I, I would say that I think to a certain level of, of fan that certainly the spotlight that a WWE Hall of Fame generates for a performer can help. But I think that there is there is such a large audience that did grow up with Bruno San Martino as such a seminal figure. I mean, this very much was a, a generation's Steve Austin or Hulk Hogan. This man was I, – I don't think – uh, it's it's any coincidence to see the level of mainstream coverage he has received, not just in Pittsburgh, where the mayor has come out with a statement, where the uh, the Steelers and the Penguins have issued statements. But this is something that has, I mean, he's got an obit in the New York Times. I mean, this was a huge figure to people that maybe even if they were not necessarily professional wrestling fans were aware of Bruno San Martino because he was he was the pillar of Northeast professional wrestling through the WWE. WF and also a guy that that toured quite a lot and traveled worldwide. So I think that you know there is one generation of fans who may only be familiar by his namesake, uh, but those that lived through this, this is an enormous one. Yeah, you could totally understand that. And I think like uh, learning a lot more about I guess his personal history even outside of professional wrestling, he really does kind of read like a real life 
you know, uh, almost like a Captain America comic book superhero, somebody who fled Nazis in order to and battled like some some like a like a serious illness in order to become like a Olympic level weightlifter and then a world champion professional wrestler for many many uh, years. It's a uh, I it's really like I'm trying to think of like another story in professional wrestling amongst like the greats that. That might even rival his. I, I don't know if you're you're going to come up with one. I mean, certainly, maybe some examples will present themselves. But for those that might not be familiar, like the the San Martino family was broken up when their father came here to America in 1936, and his wife and children were left in Italy, and they had to essentially flee the Nazis, going to live in the mountains where. Uh, Two of Bruno's siblings died during this time period, and they did not end up being reunited with their father till 1950 because after the war, Bruno couldn't even come over here because of the rheumatic fever he had come down with, and they had given him days to live. He eventually was had a this miraculous recovery and did come over to the United States where he was extremely small. He was about 84 pounds and – fell in love with weightlifting and went to the local um, uh, their version of the YMCA and ended up becoming a, a huge weightlifter. This guy was like 220 pounds by the time he graduated high school. And then it was through weightlifting that he was spotted by uh, a man named Rudy Mitchell, who was the Pittsburgh promoter at the time for Vince McMahon Sr., uh, Rudy Miller. And that was kind of – he had just started wrestling and then was spotted by Rudy Miller and that was his first tour with the WWWF and kind of got him up and going. But then it was abruptly stopped when he had given his notice there to go to California and they had booked him elsewhere and was – ended up being suspended because he no-showed this date that he was not aware he was responsible for after leaving the territory. So he was ready to just leave professional wrestling completely when it was Frank Tunney here in Toronto who was able to uh, link up with with Bruno San Martino at the recommendation of Yukon Eric. And Bruno, that is why he always held Toronto in such a high regard because Frank Tunney, he credits with saving his career. And he would, even as WWWF champion later, he would still come up to Toronto every other Sunday and work here just because of that loyalty. When this guy was – he got one day off a week on Sundays and he dedicated two of those Sundays every month to coming up to Toronto. So um, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of coverage uh, his passing uh, receives here in Toronto because I wasn't monitoring all that much. But mm-hmm. you know, to, a, to an older generation of newspaper writers and to – just fans like Toronto was a, an enormous part of this uh, this man's resume. Mm-hmm. I, I expect uh, we'll hear a bit more about that from Mouth's perspective. Uh, but I, I think like you know you talking about him, uh, you know his career being essentially uh, blackballed for a number of years uh, from America. Perhaps it also is is a good uh, segue into perhaps his. Uh, Real uh, interesting and kind of uh, strained, uh, but, you know, sometimes fruitful relationship with the McMahon family, starting with with Vince Sr. and then all the way down to uh, Vince Jr. Yeah, and I think you got the sense from Bruno that, you know, it was very much an interdependent relationship. I think that Bruno Sammartino and Vince McMahon Sr. made a lot of money together. 
but I think that Bruno, there was always that kind of that underlying resentment for what was something very unfair, what happened to him when he was, when he felt that he had been blackballed and he was unknowingly persecuted here and almost forced out of the industry. And it was just, it was such an offer that Bruno San Martino came back to the WWWF and was able to have some leverage in all of this because he was doing fine in Toronto. He was not one that was just going to jump as soon as Vince McMahon Sr. said he wanted to bring him back. And that led to him uh, winning the title the first time in 1963 from Buddy Rogers and then would hold the title. It's very famous now, close to eight years before he dropped it to Ivan Koloff. And that was when he was just run down from this schedule, which during that first run, like it's not an exaggeration. This guy was going uh, upwards of six nights a week and just needed that that break. He was just killing himself and he was he was drawing well at this period and then the second reign it would be even bigger but yeah there was always that kind of dissension with Vince Sr and it would extend to Vince Jr because I think in in that sense we we saw you know if you were around during the expansion period and Bruno was there as an announcer and even returned in the ring he was very much against the presentation of professional wrestling that Vince McMahon Jr uh was presenting at that time by the mid 80s Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. And just kind of talking about that, like nearly eight year reign. I mean, most like presidential terms don't last that long. Many careers don't last that long. So I think it's like it's kind of hard for me to comprehend what it must have been like, you know, to to hear about Ivan Koloff beating and ending this reign. Like I'm trying to. Th- it, I guess it's similar to like maybe what perhaps MMA fans would have felt if when Fedor lost for the first time or maybe sure. maybe when you know Anderson Silva lost to Chris Weidman uh just like shock and if you're a big fan just tremendous disappointment so in wrestling it's certainly something we rarely see these days perhaps also the you know the Undertaker's uh, WrestleMania streak but I mean I, I I think you almost have to be there though at this time where wrestling was just in a totally different kind of uh I don't know, uh, occupied a different public space for, or, 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 or for, uh, for, for any of the audience. So, um, what I kind of do know about, uh, Bruno, you know, growing up was just like kind of hearing a lot of his interviews, uh, where, yeah, you're right. He was very outspoken about what was currently going on in professional wrestling. And I think that's also something that stood out to me in, in looking back at him right now too, was the fact that like, this was a dude who really like, didn't care you know what the what the company felt about him uh wasn't really trying to get back into the WWE in any way uh and just seemed to like want to speak the truth and seemed to just hold his own integrity and his own beliefs in very high regard there, there was comparisons made at a time between Bruno San Martino and Bret Hart where they were two people that were going to be very outspoken about what they didn't agree with and some labeled them bitter But these were two guys that were – there was a time period. Neither had any desire to go back and work for this company, and they also didn't look at the WWE as this validation. And, you know, I saw that from some people today that were, you know, were so glad that he was – uh, eventually put into the WWE Hall of Fame. And I'm sure that night Bruno was was happy to be part of it and was certainly on on better terms with the company from 2013 onward. But if you were to have asked Bruno Sammartino to write his own obituary, I think professional wrestling would be lower on the list than some would assume. He was this legendary figure, but 
that was not the definition of his life being professional wrestling. It was a it was an aspect to it. It was certainly something that he was proud of, but it was not you know, this was not a guy that was staying up at night worrying about what the wrestling world viewed him as. Hmm. He's a very confident individual and it had enormous integrity. Uh, that was displayed with, with Frank Tunney. That was displayed with Giant Baba, who he would never cross those promotional borders and venture off to New Japan, even when he was WWWF champion and they had a business relationship with New Japan, like an extremely loyal individual who would would die on a hill for his beliefs. Yeah, and somebody and I watched the clip uh, that you posted, John, of uh, this this little mini featurette called "The Legend of Bruno Sammartino that you posted in your uh, uh, story. Um, it features like a really wonderful clip. I don't know when that interview was done. I'm assuming it was probably the 70s uh, or somewhere somewhere in there. But it was like Bruno talking about like. The reporter was asking Bruno, well, why do you think so many, uh, you know, so many people uh, look at wrestlers as, you know, like these flashy showmen and, you know, don't really take them seriously. And to hear Bruno Sammartino, whenever the interview was filmed, give his explanation about why wrestlers rely on gimmicks. Um, You know, basically him saying that wrestlers rely on gimmicks because they feel like they need it to get attention. And, uh, he, you know, he talked about why he didn't like it because it took away from the the reputation of wrestlers as actual athletes. I just thought like it was such a well thought out and, and I guess like in hindsight, very like kind of almost an accurate statement given the lack of hindsight for a, a statement like that at the time. So, I mean, it's not, he's somebody who I feel like really kind of like, um, almost in a way feels like a forefather or an, or an ambassador to like what a lot of wrestling fans taste might be today where they want a bit more serious wrestling um maybe even to an extreme you know because like i do think a lot of the flash of wrestling is what makes it fun but uh i wonder i wonder what what somebody like bruno thought about mma or or you know maybe like the type of product that like a new japan pro wrestling presents right now yeah and we're gonna bring in dan lebranski in a second but i think it's worth noting just like what a iconic babyface. Bruno San Martino was like, this was someone that people lived and died with. And I mean, it's not a direct comparison, but I, I kind of looked at him very much because he had such a, a following amongst Italians and other minorities that I think there was a similar mm. kind of following that we can not a direct parallel, but very much to George St. Pierre, who was just the ultimate classy individual that had this country behind him in Canada and was somebody that just was the the ultimate representative that you would want to have in front of you. And I think that was Bruno San Martino to a lot of people two generations ago. Fought against steroids. Both very much anti-performance enhancing drugs, both mm-hmm. very outspoken against them. Uh, so at this point, let's let's bring in Dan Levransky, and we're going to uh, dive a bit more deep into some of his famous feuds. We'll also get into the second reign of his title uh, run with the WWWF and and some of Dan Levransky's own uh, experiences, both interviewing Bruno and uh, watching him. All right, so we're continuing our conversation on Bruno San Martino, the legendary figure that passed away Wednesday morning at the age of 82. Uh, it was uh, reported by his longtime friend, uh, Christopher Cruz, that he had been in hospital the, the prior two months uh, battling illness. And we're bringing in now Dan the Mouth Lavransky, uh, someone that has had the opportunity to interview Bruno a number of times and have more of a perspective of actually uh, watching 
during Bruno's uh, time period as well. Uh, Mouth, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, no problem, uh, guys. No problem. Yeah, Bruno San Martino, uh, one of the few uh, men in wrestling with scruples, a, a guy that uh, had really strong beliefs out, uh, about what pro wrestling should be and uh, always stuck to his guns, which I thought was uh, just outside of him being an amazing performer and wrestler. I always thought the integrity of Bruno San Martino could not be touched. Now, can you go back mouth to when you first kind of – any early memories of Bruno San Martino when you first became aware of him and, and around what, what, what era this would be of his career? Well, it, you know what? For, for, uh, for where I was at the time, I wasn't exposed to the stuff that was all happening on the Northeast and that. I was watching right. Canadian wrestling and stuff like that, probably Grand Prix and uh, so, uh, the, probably Mid-Atlantic and that. But I, I remember him from the magazines. When I was young, I loved the wrestling magazines, and I swear, in the 70s for sure, there was, you know, the time didn't seem to go by where he wasn't on the cover. Even when he wasn't champion, Bruno was always on the cover of wrestling magazines. It was almost like a guarantee among fans that if you put Bruno on the cover, the fans would just go crazy and buy the magazines, because that's where I first saw him. And then it really... For me, I did get to see him in the ring a couple times, but it was right at the end of his career when he was uh, in the WWF and he was working with Vince doing some announcing, and they did that whole angle with his son, and they kind of came to the rescue, and they, they, did, they worked a couple of um, the, the old-school TV tapings, I remember, that they used to do in Brantford, and I was there with some, some of my friends, and that was, the, that was the first time I think I actually saw him in the ring, so I didn't get to see him in his prime in the ring at all. Yeah, cause me and Wei were just discussing kind of his first title reign, and then after those close to eight years, just having to walk away from it because he was just burned out by this schedule and seemed pretty happy with, with life because he was then able to just call his shots. He could book his his own schedule, and then the WWF came back calling, and they made him a sweetheart deal to come back instead of six nights a week. He'd only have to work three. He got a nice percentage of the gate and ended up coming back for what he thought would be just a year and winning the title back uh, from Stan Stasiak. And then that one ended up being around close to four years at at that that point. And it was, it was during this second reign where you saw him draw so well with your likes of Bill Watts with Spiros Arion, Larry Zabisco, uh, Stan Hansen was in there where he ended up breaking his neck, which kind of led led to him dropping the title. I mean, these were some, some legendary programs he had. And this was kind of at at a point where it was almost into his twilight where he was not even looking for the second title reign. They came to him. Yeah, well, and, and, and that just show, it just shows you what an, an extraordinary performer is. And really, when you talk about Bruno San Martino, I, you have to talk about the connection that he had with people. He was just one of those guys that really appealed to what a wrestling fan was in um, the 70s uh, there, and that the, the, the kind of a common man. And he, he was just so well-liked by the fans, and he just was able to hook into that so heavily. And I think that's a, a big part that you have to understand. He just he, there, was, there was something about him... Like just as soon as you know he lost that title to Koloff there in '71, it was almost like I'm sure within a, a few months they realized this is a mistake. So uh, when he did come back, yeah, of course he did really great. He had the, the awesome hot matches and just 
you know, just a, a really amazing, talented guy. I remember talking to him a couple of times, doing lengthy interviews with him, and he would he was always you know, totally gregarious, great guy, willing to tell you stories. I asked him about that whole thing with Stan Hansen, and I remember saying, you know, what went through your mind? You must have been incredibly upset in that, and he just, he kind of rolled with the punches. He didn't blame Stan Hansen. He never held it against Stan Hansen, you know. I think a lot of other wrestlers, if something that major had happened, they might have, you know, held against him. And Bruno would have been someone that would have had the power to get someone blackballed if he if he had wanted if he had wanted to. Um, so it's I just yeah just um, an an amazing an, an amazing character that's for sure. And uh, uh, for me, like a uh, a beacon for that whole era of professional wrestling that was so different from what we see in the modern world. Bruno's a solid link to that. I'm curious to know, uh, Malice, if, if you happen to be following any of the magazines or anything around the time when he did lose his title for the first time to Ivan Koloff, uh, or, or, you know, if you even have a bit of a sense of maybe what that moment might have felt like, especially having lived through, you know, so much of, uh, uh, I guess, MMA similarities with streaks ending and in, even in professional wrestling in the years since. Uh, when he, well, the first time he lost it, way I was too young. I was too young at that time, really, to kind of know the impact of it. It was, it was, um, I, but I do, I do remember when he won it uh, later on, and that exactly seeing it in the magazines when he won the title the second time. That was a big thing. I remember seeing it in the magazines, and it, it got it got tons of attention, and it was a, a big thing. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't really old enough to remember what it was like at, at that time when he uh, he lost it that first time. Um, it's just. Uh, it, I always I always looked at it in a historical perspective and how much it's um it's such a big point of of wrestling at that point like this guy that went on to hold the title for so long I just it's it's amazing that he was able to hold it that long and they they kept it on him and they were he was successful with him for that long like it just shows how amazing they booked him and how great he was because I that would never happen in this era I don't think I mean yeah, I, I, you know, there's no, there's no way anyone would uh, have that much, uh, you know, a, a rain, a rain like Bruno's, like it's just unheard of. It's also interesting to look at, at you know, the the contrast to Vince Senior and Vince Junior of kind of with, with Vince Senior, whether you look at Bruno San Martino or Pedro Morales as the big babyface champion, the territory is built around, and while Vince Junior saw the same kind of mindset with Hulk Hogan. You had such a different kind of character because Bruno San Martino and Hulk Hogan were just so diametrically opposed in their, <laughs> in their appeal to people. I mean, just polar opposites, even though presented as these babyface figures to their audience. No, in terms of that, it's, it's very true, but the packaging is completely different, right? Bruno is your classic kind of strong man with the old, the old school barrel house kind of body, you know, a power lifter, does a lot of cardio, where someone like Hulk Hogan, it's just, you know, it's all about the looks, the presentation, the, the, the cupping the ear to the, the, the hand to the ear and doing the gimmick, ripping off the shirt. Um, sure, sure, they're both baby faces, but you're right, completely, completely different. And, and, you know, it was well known, you know, Bruno was not a big fan of wrestlers like Hulk Hogan. He liked guys, you know, that could actually work matches and, you know, people like Luthez and, and that. He was not a big fan of guys like uh, Hogan and the, and the guys that went for the more muscular kind of look. You know, he was very adamantly against uh, 
of steroids and that, and and fought McMahon publicly, you know, publicly went after that kind of stuff quite a bit. Uh, that's what I always thought was amazing about Bruno is that you know he was already this legendary character, and he didn't really have to even go in this direction. And some might even say it would be something that would taint his legend. But I mean, to me, it's just amazing that a guy that was pretty well done with the business, he could have just walked away and left it. He was always so vocal um, about the stuff like the steroid abuse. Do you have any memories mouth of, of the Larry Zabisco program? And, and also by extension, we, we were discussing earlier, just how impactful Toronto was on his career uh, yes. with, with Frank Tunney as well. I want to ask yeah. you about both those. Well, that's it. The, the Toronto connection is amazing because, yeah, when he was, when he was basically blackballed there because at that time, back in the early 60s, the commissions were really, really strong. And, yeah, he had got booked for two matches on the same night and didn't appear at one of them. So he got banned by several commissions. And he really had – was tough for him to find work in the States. So, yeah, he came up to Toronto and he worked for the Tunnies. And he actually had his first uh, big match with Buddy Rogers was in Toronto. Um, working for the Tunnies. So the, the Tunnies were very important. And it was, it was a great place for Bruno to kind of ju- I, like, like, um, judge the waters, work on his uh, character and stuff like that, because there was a, a, a large Italian population in um, Toronto as well. And there's, you know, that is such a big part of, of Bruno Sammartino is the, the using the connection to a native people to, to create the success they did. It was, it's such a, such a big part of uh, what happened with Bruno. So yeah, big thing with, with the Tunnies for sure. The stuff with Larry Zabisco. Yeah. Because they had the big, um, the big cage match. That was always a big thing. I remember uh, very young seeing on some, I think just clips on television of, uh, from the match when they had the big blow off in the cage match. Um, but yeah, that that is definitely remembered as one of his biggest feuds because it was so well executed, and the Zabisco was was really great in his role as as the heel, and uh, it was a big thing to take Bruno out in that kind of way that Zabisco did, bloodied him up and stuff like that. So uh, it was uh, that that was that was definitely a big feud, and 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 I mean it made it made Larry Zabisco. I mean it it got him going after that. That was definitely where people first, you know, kind of paid attention to him. So Bruno definitely helpful in getting lots of other guys. George the Animal Steel, I think, too, partially owns part of his career to Bruno Sammartino, right? Because they had those great matches when George was very much more of a heel character. But, you know, they had a a long series of matches and feuds with each other that were um, successful. So, yeah, there's another thing with Bruno. He helped other guys get off the ground, too. Did you ever see him at Maple Leaf Gardens? Yes, but again, it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was a tag with his son. Okay, so like with, by the mid-80s, right. Yeah, it, was, it would have been a tag with his son, and they were doing, I think it was like, uh, I can't remember what the Toronto one show was, but I believe they were feuding like with Savage and Adonis, doing tags at shows and something like that. And, um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't get to see him when he held the title or anything like that or was champion. Um, unfortunately, no. Were, were you surprised, Mouth, when uh, they did finally announce that he would be uh, working with the WWE again as a part of their Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah, completely, Way, Absolutely. I was really surprised. Um, uh, you know, and, and I think Bruno was probably in every other wrestling Hall of Fame, too, by that point when uh, the WWE came calling. But uh, as they always say, never say never. And, 
you know, I, I mean, obviously, if not that the WWE is ever going to be a, cre- a completely credible Hall of Fame, but if it is going to be a WWEF Hall of Fame, Bruno San Martino has to really be in there. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I applaud Triple H for at least trying to reach out to him. And and Bruno, you know, they for being the the bigger man and kind of realizing, you know, a lot of the fans want to see this too, and maybe he felt it was a good way to just say you know, say goodbye to the fans for the final time and, you know, let, let them know that he was, he was still out there. You know, uh, it's, it, I, I was surprised for sure, but I think in, I think in the end it was, you know, it it was a, it was a good thing to do. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up here, I think that Bruno San Martino, like it's, it's really cool to see how much coverage this passing has has gotten because I think to people that are maybe new to professional wrestling, you can you can look up clips of Bruno, you can watch matches, they're accessible, but I don't think the matches are going to necessarily grab you. So much of it was the no. context of the character at the yes. time that these fans, they lived and died through this man. He was fighting their battles for them, and that was the appeal of a Bruno Sammartino that I don't know if YouTube can truly recapture for someone trying to understand the essence of Bruno Sammartino. No, absolutely, John. For I mean, for some of the younger fans today, there's no way that they're going to be able to watch a Bruno San Martino match and be captivated. I mean, it's a completely different animal now, especially after you know we see stuff from New Japan or you know guys like Osprey and Zack Saber Jr. And I mean, it's a it's complete it's completely different. Uh, animal now that part for sure i mean again he he was an amazing performer and he was very successful but i think for me honestly his integrity is the thing that stands out the most i just thought i always thought it was really amazing the way he held his ground um when it came to the things he didn't like about wrestling and at, at a time when it was going through huge changes you know vince mcmahon really changed it a lot and i just i just always thought that it was amazing that Bruno had such integrity to kind of stick to his guns and he, he was upset about it so he spoke out about it and uh, I always I always I always admired that from him for sure but uh, and, and a photographic memory when it came to recalling his career like just an unbelievable memory like whenever you or I would speak to him it was incredible his recall yes. Yes, yeah, and and that was the other thing when you would talk to him and do and did interviews. He was he was very gregarious. He was charming. There was I don't remember there ever being stuff that was off uh, top like he couldn't talk about no. with him. And he always had great stories. He had great stories about a lot of the older guys and uh, you know he's such such an amazing man. I mean, not only all that stuff, but just look at what he did even in his own life. The way he he worked out, you know, right until his. You know, probably the last couple of years, constantly working out in the gym, having surgeries. Like, you know, it was just an unbelievable individual. There'd be no one like Bruno San Martino again. That is, that is definitely for sure. And it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of funny that this comes, or I don't know, interesting that it comes a few days after the debut of the Andre the Giant documentary, and just getting people thinking about those that era of professional wrestling and uh, and how different it is from from what we have today. Bruno was another link to that for sure. Yeah, it, it's an unfortunate passing, but after covering so many wrestling tragedies, this is a wrestling triumph, Bruno San Martino. Oh, I, I think. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. Lived, lived, lived very well his entire life, and yeah, a very uh, intelligent, smart, uh, in, awesome guy. 
All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our, our special look at Bruno Sammartino. We wanted to do a, a extra show today just looking back at his career. I want to thank uh, Dan Lavransky for joining us and, uh, and Way for, uh, for popping on today as well. Uh, so Bruno Sammartino was 82 years old, and we are going to sign off. Thanks for tuning in here at postwrestling.com.